Hey everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Roxana Saidi, founder and CEO of Tash. Tash is short for pistachio, and Tash the company makes pistachio milk. And for those of you who have tried other alt milks like almond and oat, Tash inherits some of the best flavor profile, but comes with a ton of other environmental benefits. Uses way less water than some of these other alt milks, way less land use, and just a bunch of other benefits that make pistachio milk one of the best options for people that are exploring non-dairy milks. And so in the episode, Roxanne and I will discuss what exactly inspired her to start Tash getting over some of the outrageous minimum order quantities that are required to launch a product of this nature, what it was launching in the midst of the pandemic, how she got into hundreds of specialty shops in the tri-state region, and her plans to 10X that over the next year. And finally, the different products that are in the pipeline for a company like Tash. So without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Roxana Saidi, founder and CEO of Tash. Roxana, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Peter. I'm happy to be here. So by now, my listeners are used to the signature kickoff, but we'll lead with the same starting question. What is Tash? Yes. So Tash is the first true pistachio milk in the U.S. We are a distinctly delicious vegan plant-based milk made from purely pistachios, no added oil of any kind, and we are more sustainable than almond milk. All right. I have a lot of questions because my fiance and I have been pretty adventurous in the alt milk phase over the last couple of years. Here in the city, every cafe is hitting you with the most outrageous plant-based milks. But before we get into the comps between pistachio versus some of the other options. How does someone like yourself get into the business of starting an alt milk company? Excellent question. I've wondered that myself quite a few times. It happened very organically. I So to back up, I started a social media agency 10 years ago. In 2011, there was no such thing as a social media agency. And that was just born out of a hatred for my current career back then, which was a PR career. And nothing against PR. I completely respect the industry. It's just that for me, living in LA, fresh out of college, my job consisted of like getting a pair of jeans on Paris Hilton. So I was just like, okay, got it. I got to do something else. And I thought that social media wasn't a passing fad. I really believed it was here to stay. So I'd always been on like the agency side, the service side. I'd never really dreamt about having a product. I grew that into a boutique sized agency. I loved what I did. It was the wild west back then. Like I had clients from like Fairmont hotels to Fred Siegel. And so I'd always been in the service industry. And so how Tash came to be was quite random, but I've been a coffee aficionado my whole life. My mom hates when I say this, but She gave me my first cappuccino at like age 12. I was a precocious 12 year old, so I could handle it, but I just fell in love. And like, I've always loved coffee culture. I've always loved just like nerding out about it. And when plant-based milks really took a hold, I was really intrigued by it all. And so in 2015, like a lot of people, I phased out dairy milk and was 
drinking a ton of almond milk, eating a ton of almond butter. And I was traveling, visiting some family over in Paris. And at the end of a long lunch, I just wanted my go-to, which was an almond milk latte. But in 2015, almond milk hadn't made its way over at all. So I just had that classic light bulb moment. And I thought, wait, couldn't I take what I've been eating my whole life, pistachios, and couldn't I make a plant-based milk the exact same way that like all the blogs are writing about how you make cashew milk, almond milk, all these things at home? And wouldn't that perhaps be even more delicious than what I'm getting with almond milk? And so my father is Iranian and I make the joke that like pistachios are to Middle Eastern households as like toilet paper. Like they are an absolute staple. That's not like a question of maybe you have them, maybe you don't. There's bowls of them all over. And so that's what I did. I got back to New York and I just started making pistachio milk in my little studio kitchen and gave it to friends of friends. And everyone was just like constantly saying to me, oh my God, I would drink this entirely on its own with an incredulous look on their face. I can't believe like this is actually good. It made me really think there's something here. And also you never see anyone reach into their refrigerator, grab a nut milk and drink it for pure pleasure just wasn't happening. And then shortly thereafter, Oatly came over to the US and they started plugging away at all the local coffee shops in New York City. And it started to boom. And I was like, okay, I got to mobilize this thing. Okay. So this is where, this is the junction in the story where (laughs) it's always such a curveball because at some point you go from tinkering in your kitchen or whatever the the prototyping spaces. Yep. And you're like, all right, this is gonna become my baby. I'm gonna give it my 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 full time TLC. Yep. What happens after the Eureka moment that this could turn into to a meaningful business? What's the next step after prototyping in the kitchen to finding yeah. a, a supplier and producing at scale? What what happens? Yeah. So I've approached it in a unique way. So my first step was actually to find it. So what I wanted to understand was what is it going to cost? Because I'm not going to shift my entire career. I'm not going to pivot to this industry I know nothing about if if it's only to create a $20 pistachio milk. That doesn't make sense. That's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to create a delicious pistachio milk at a more approachable price. And consumers are used to paying more for pistachios. And that's a whole other story. But So I found a a consultant who was actually the head buyer of 7-Eleven North America for 30 years. And so I had her do a cost analysis of what it would cost to produce a pistachio milk using my family's supply chain. And I wanted to ensure that it was somewhere in the seven to $8 range. I didn't want it to be above 10. We could push to nine, but above 10, I was just like, all right, I don't want like a tiny subset of consumer, only at Erewhon or something like that to be able to buy this. I need it to be approachable. So she ran a, a really thorough analysis across every single channel, what our margins would be, what our cost of goods, blah, 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 blah. And we determined that we, we could create this product below $10 per unit. And when I say per unit, it's a multi-serve 32 ounce Tetra Pak container. So that was my first step. The second step was to find a formulation agency. So we found one that only works in beverage and they helped us to formulate three flavors of Tash. So, well, actually four. The original, which is slightly sweetened, the unsweetened, and then vanilla slightly sweetened and vanilla unsweetened. That was step one and two. Step three was much more challenging 
and was a huge eye-opening experience. And I realized the product that I had decided I really wanted to create, there was a reason that there was very few players in the space. So while it seems like there was like a new milk coming out every single day almost, or a new plant-based milk, at the same time, the barista blends that all the baristas were using that were in that paper Tetra Pak container, there was really only a few players. And the reason for that is because the manufacturing that is required to create that product, there's literally like a handful of of players who do it. And because there's so few in North America, mind you, in Europe, they're everywhere. Like they've been doing this for years. They get to command enormously high minimum order quantity. So you're looking at a quarter of a million units on your very first production run. So here I am, I'm like, all right, I'm like cold calling folks. I'm like, hey, I got this new plant-based milk that I'm gonna launch. It's the first pistachio milk in the US, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, yeah, great. We love your conviction. You sound awesome. Background in social media is great. Let us know when you're ready to do 200 or 250 units and we'll get it going. And so- For me, hearing that, I was like, wow, okay, there's no bootstrapping this. We are going to have to raise some capital and we're going all in. There's no like putting your big toe in. There's no see if the mom and pop shop down the street sells well. You're going all in and scaling this thing before you even launch. Okay, that's bonkers because I know (laughs) in in addition to that outrageous figure, you also have the ticking time bomb of – it being a food product, right? Like mm-hmm. you got to sell the product within, it's not like a, I make games, right? It's not like this game is going to expire in a couple of years. Yes. You have these two variables that just make starting up way harder than yeah. any other CPG category. Yeah. So luckily we have a longer shelf life of 12 months. So unopened, you have 12 months. Once opened, you have about 10 days to, to 14 days. But yeah, that's still a variable at play, right? Like you can't just like hope in the next decade it gets moved. There's a timeline involved. So how did you de-risk? Did you get wholesale commitments? That's a lot of volume out of the gate. Yeah. So for me, 2015 to when we launched in November of 2020, I'll be honest, after I found out what it was going to take for any manufacturer to take this on, There was a lot of vacillating back and forth in my mind. Can I do this? Am I crazy? There's a reason no one else like me is doing this. It's okay. I can do it. So there was some ping ponging happening. But what I did was I kept putting myself in positions to learn and to meet folks in the industry. So living in New York City, I couldn't ask for a better place to be. And everyone in this industry is so generous with their time, with their information. It's so welcoming. So everything from going to like, New York City Coffee Fest, which tens of thousands of people go to, the Javits Center, thousands of booths, doing that on repeat, going to like conventions like FabNet Live, just constantly doing that over those years. And yeah, meeting with like the wholesale buyers and the owners of shops and constantly getting buy-in and really feedback on the product, which took us really far until the pandemic happened. And then all of those verbal POs became meaningless because they're just trying to keep their doors open and everybody's dealing with a crisis. And the last thing they're going to do is add a fifth milk to their menu. 
So that became quite the the turn of events. But yeah, up until the pandemic, it was just constantly meeting people, introductions, staying in touch, sending them samples, getting their feedback. And really because the product itself is so distinctly delicious, it, it was an easy sell up until that point. Okay, this is sweet. So we, we have two units here. Either someone on your team bought us. Thank you so much for that. I, I, by the way, like total sidebar, but I despise the idea of free, especially if you're trying to support a homie, buy the product. So <laughs> I just thank you to, I, I forget who connected me with you, but Andrea, thank you to, it, yeah, honestly, yeah. big thanks. We already went through the first one into our second unit now. It is absolutely delicious. How do you go from launching mid-COVID, like November, that was right around like second wave starting to pick up. Mm -hmm. What's the status of the company now? Because we're just a couple months into 2021. What's the latest? Right. Yeah. So we, so the company is a family business. My dad was a bit of a serial entrepreneur. I grew up in the Bay Area. So he actually was a founder three times, but he was making cell phone chips. So very different from CPG. But in the early days of me tinkering and and trying to figure out if I was going to raise this capital and do a round and all that stuff, I actually pulled him out of retirement and asked if he would be my co-founder. And I think most dads would probably say, nope, (laughs) I'm good. (laughs) But like, best of luck to you. It sounds intriguing, but I'm good. But he was all in and um, he's been super helpful. And then when the pandemic started, my fiance, Kyle, he was working in hotel technology. So that kind of went on out the window for quite a while there. So I was able to rope him in. So we're a tiny team of three right now. We're hiring this year. But yeah, so we're in about 200 locations thus far, mostly centralized in the tri-state area, but definitely spread out throughout the country. We're really laser focused in specialty and third wave coffee, matcha bars, things things of that nature. So primarily a D2C company, but also in the coffee channel. And we're pretty rapidly expanding to to other locations like Southern California and having big distribution there, Chicago this year. So we're moving pretty fast. We outpaced our, our 2020 sales projections by 300%. So we were pretty excited about how our launch went. Yeah, things have been really great. And the response has just been like overwhelmingly positive. So we're incredibly grateful. Two of my closest buddies run an alcoholic ice pops company called Punch Pops. And one of the most disastrous part of running an alcohol company is you got to the, the three-tier system commands how you sell. For with, with a couple of caveats, like if you're doing wine direct from where it's made and maybe a couple other products, you really – you can't sell direct to, to consumer. You got to make sure like all these different mouths are, are fed properly. It, I'm unfamiliar with products of this nature. Clearly, you're working with specialty cafes and that is like a tried and true model. Like you saw right. Oatly did it before. You, you see it in, in plant-based meats that was impossible or beyond. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a, a beautiful model. When you're looking to distribute, w- yeah. what is that system like? You know, what I'm curious, what is the general makeup and characteristic of, of that process? It's so like stratified and fragmented. Like every market is totally different. So I'll give you two examples. New York is beautiful, right? 
there's one main alt milk distributor. And the reason this is how I found this out, I was very scrappy early on. So like the year is like 2017, 2018, every time I'm going to grab a coffee, I'm meeting, having a meeting, whatever, I'm asking, hey, who do you guys use for your alt milk distribution? And I kept hearing the same name over and over, CLW. Okay, great. That's the that's who I gotta get. That's you know that's my guy. In other markets like Los Angeles, and this is probably part of it is is just geography and driving distance and and what goes into being able to service all the coffee shops in Los Angeles. You will get ten different answers out of when you ask ten different shops. There's no one key distributor. Some buy direct because they have the space and they can just put it you know in their own warehouse or storage facility. Some are using like actual dairy distributors who have now brought in alt milk. It's all over the map. So it's it's much more challenging in a place like Los Angeles. And then each kind of distributor has their own way that they like to do things. Some are very transparent and they have a beautiful like warehouse management system and they share a lot of info. Others prefer to be a little bit more close to the chest and they have other distributors that are you know, nipping at their ankles and trying to steal accounts. And so it's been this whole world that we've educated ourselves on and learned a lot about over the last few months. But really, if you get buy-in from the shops themselves, you figure out, they'll point you to who they work with or who they prefer to work with, and then you get in that way. So something that's been poking at me, and I've I read it on your site, and you've been covering a bunch of press, like hat tip for you for all the connections that you built, I'm sure it has been helpful over the years, all the work. Explain to the listeners how pistachio milk compares to some of the other mainstream options, maybe mm-hmm. even just starting with like pure dairy, and mm-hmm. then some of the other popular alts. How sure. does pistachio milk compare? Yeah. So... Across the key, the land use, the greenhouse gas, and the water, we always say plant-based is going to win versus dairy on all those. When we get granular and we say versus oat, versus almond, versus coconut, we're all in a better place than we would be if we stuck with dairy. So that's first and foremost. When it comes to almond milk and we're looking at water, we actually look to a very thorough report that was done by UNESCO. And they found that pistachio trees require about 75% less water than almond trees. Now, what that means in realistic um, measurements, if you took a gallon of almond milk, that's going to require about 920 gallons of water to produce that single gallon of almond milk. And so when I was early days thinking about Tash, I found it really interesting I grew up in in California and I remember in drought years, there would be commercials that said, limit your shower to five minutes, don't water your lawn, all these like very instrumental things that we could do to help the state during a drought. And then at the same time, we're drinking all this almond milk and no one's really like thinking, oh, wow, like all these almonds are are grown here in California. This is having a huge impact. And then on top of that, it was a lot more information was coming out about what it was requiring to pollinate these trees and it was decimating the bee population and all this stuff. So we're really proud of the fact that um, Tash requires so much less water. And on top of that, we don't source our pistachios from California. So that's the comparison on the water footprint there. And then on the Oatly, I shouldn't say Oatly, on the oat milk side, a really key difference and this is not sustainability, but product difference is that we don't add any rapeseed oil or canola oil. So you get that really nice velvety consistency that you get with oat milk, but you're not getting all the negative 
side effects of drinking a few tablespoons of canola oil in your latte or your overnight oats or whatever it is. And there's been a lot of press that's come out recently about that. I'll be honest, like a year ago, I would be presenting to anybody and I'd say, yeah, we don't add rapeseed oil. So there's no blah, 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 blah. Like it's about the same amount of oil as a medium order of fries in a, in a single serving of oat milk. And people would look at me like, what do you, huh? <laughs> what are you talking about? There's no oil in my oatly or oat. I'd say, oh gosh, like, I hope I didn't just ruin your day, but rapeseed oil is actually canola oil. Now it's totally different. Like 60, 70% of people are like, I know, like it's, I just broke up with oat milk because I had to find another one that doesn't have that. Those are the two key differences between us and some of the other alt milks. Yeah. I saw a piece that called Oatly, I hate calling them out too, but oat milk in general, like the new Coca-Cola. Yeah. The product is delicious. They did a great job. but Incredible job. And it is delicious. And I am a, I drink it as well. Mm-hmm. I, I truly do. I, and I also drink almond milk still far less. They're they are still great products. It's just, it's about kind of your own value system and where it mm-hmm. falls with, within that. And I think as soon as start, this is why I'm so bullish on what you're working on. All it takes, as soon as someone tries it for the first time, it's like, yep, I'm good. Yeah. Come locked in. Yeah. But it, it, it's the, true. Oatly, oat, like oat milk and almond milk tend to be how people dip their toes. Oh my God, I'm getting off of whole milk or creamer for the first time. But after you take that first step and you start understanding what you're putting in your body, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. <laughs> I'm curious. Y'all are young. You've been putting work yeah. into this for multiple years. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself when I ask. Over the next few years, do you see yourself growing this and having it be an eternity-style business where you launch other products under the, the Tash umbrella? Do you want? Right. Do you see yourself joining forces with – a, a larger CPG conglomerate. What do you what What does the future of Tash look like? Yeah, great question. So we think of Tash as a pistachio company, not as a pistachio milk company. And what was surprising to me over 2015 to when we launched last year was how many people in this country absolutely love pistachios. I thought it was more niche than that, but. I can't even tell you how many people have said, I'm obsessed with pistachios. Pistachio ice cream is my favorite ice cream. And I kept hearing that over and over again. And I was thinking, that's too bad because there's only two ways that people are talking about consuming it. There's two use cases on its own, just a bag of pistachios roasted or not. And then as ice cream or gelato, that was the entire use case of this wonderful ingredient. And so we found that it was like highly underutilized in this country. And the reasons for that is supply chain. And our plans for Tash, long, long view here, is to really be a pistachio company across several different categories and really bring pistachio to the forefront in a number of ways in any of these categories that plant-based is really burgeoning from nut-based cheese to yogurt. There's all these different myriad directions it can go in, but we really believe that Tash is a pistachio company and we're, we're launching with the pistachio milk. Okay. Yeah, I can imagine like uh, pistachio ice cream, delicious. But that most consumers are familiar with the flavor profile. They've had it before. I think the big opportunity, and this is where, oh, I wish there was more activity here. Even at Trader Joe's, if you're going to buy yogurts or cottage cheeses, plant-based alternatives 
have made zero penetration in that entire shelf space. And so when you look at yogurts, cottage cheeses, even just like the slices of cheese, in some of the most progressive grocery markets and stores, I I just see very little penetration, which leads me to believe that's going to be an absolutely massive opportunity strike zone for people like yourself and others tinkering. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You see it more in in specialty and and like the natural and some of the smaller ones, but when it comes to the larger ones like Trader Joe's, yeah, you're right. I think that's going to drastically change in the next 18 months or less. Mm -hmm. The amount of R&D that's happening right now is mind boggling (laughs) across a lot of those larger folks. So I think it's really the countdown is on. (laughs) And we're going to see in Tash cheese tash let's go i can't wait all right so two fun questions to bookend the conversation one and i haven't asked this in a while but i'm curious given how much you've done in social launching your own company do you have any peers you want to shout out is there another startup that's tinkering in the broader kind of climate space that's working on something interesting it could be like a geeky experiment at the moment that isn't commercialized or a D2C company, anyone that you're like, that is like really cool. What you're doing is like super interesting. Would love to hear. Yeah. So overall, I'm like a fierce proponent of like female founded anything. Our nonprofit partner is the Lower East Side Girls Club of New York City. So they're all about mentorship and education and tools for underprivileged girls in New York City. So like I'm just a enormous fierce proponent of uplifting and supporting other women and girls. So all the brands that come to mind for me are other female founded brands that have launched during this pandemic. So one is a better for you candy called behave. And the founder's name is Mesa. And I'm actually like, I don't have a big sweet tooth, but behave. I have cravings for behave. Right. So like in the middle of the day, I'll be like, oh, I have some gummies in the pantry. I'm going to go for those. And they're just like amazing and delicious. And she's brilliant. Another one is Gaia, which you may have heard of by Melanie. And it's a it's just revolutionizing the way you think of an aperitif. It's alcohol free, beautiful packaging. You feel like you're transported to Italy, but no alcohol, which during this pandemic has been a lifesaver when you are Mm -hmm. just at home and you cannot really fathom another drink. (laughs) 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 So I've been drinking a lot of that. Yeah, I could go on and on, but those are two of my faves. Two great shout outs. I haven't heard of either. I know um, on the aperitif side, Haas. Great brand. What's it? Yeah, they did a good job. Yeah, I'm such a fan of hers. I don't have the the my taste buds aren't mature enough yet. That's really what it is. <laughs> Mixing, yeah. There's the world is your oyster when it comes to mix, mixology and what you can do with all the different like pairings. I've you been bored. That's creative. what it is. I like yeah, just see. drink it straight, and I don't think I I don't think I did that. Yeah, you got time. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the last question is around the notion of the idea graveyard. One idea that you would love to work on if you had the time to do, but for now is just rotting away in your idea graveyard. Yes, this actually is perfect dovetailing with what we were just talking about. And this is a selfish one, but it's related to booze and traveling. And I've always just thought it's fairly obvious, but I understand why it's not a thing. So here it is. I think on long haul flights, you're 
the wine options need a major overhaul. It's a sleepy thing. Why is there only, and we're not talking like first class, we're talking economy and everything. Why is there only, and sorry to these wine brands that are being served, the worst quality, like the McDonald's of wine. How come no biodynamic, organic, why can't we have some better options? There's only two and they're terrible. So I think that's a sleepy category that is just waiting for somebody to come be like, hey, Delta, let's do better. Nobody's traveling right now. This was really something I thought about five years ago, but. (laughs) No, it is a good. All right. So question for you. (laughs) I want somebody to do it. I'm giving it away. Right. Why don't you seed that with somebody? Because that seems pretty. (laughs) The model is there. You just got to like design. I don't know. Probably just. I don't know. I don't know why it doesn't exist. Economics, it's got to be it. It's got to be price. It's got, yeah, yeah. Or the alcohol industry is, and I've heard this like on a lot of podcasts, it's so like bureaucratic. There's so much red tape. It's so, we were talking about this kind of before, like the channels to get in are so challenging and owned by a few, I don't know, but Mm -hmm. somebody needs to crack into it because it's ripe for the taking. All right. So if someone's Gonna go after this. You gotta hit up Roxana because you know she, <laughs> give her a little slice, a little slice of the pie. Um, Please, it can be small. Roxana, I'd love to roll the red carpet. Are there any final call to actions, hiring needs, anything that you want to leave with our listeners? The floor is yours. Yeah, absolutely. So we are hiring this year. We're looking for a chief of staff. We are looking for like a head of digital product and a head of ops. You can easily find us on pistachiomilk.com and Tash on Instagram and all the other fun channels. But yeah, 2021, here we go. Con, Roxana. <laughs> Congrats sincerely on on launching in November, on making it through the multiple years of holy crap. Like I this this minimum quality is insane. That you know, <laughs> honestly, congrats for just having the courage to to launch your own thing. I wish you great success and I can't wait to continue drinking this deliciousness. Thank you for coming oh, on today. Thank you so much. I really had a great time. Thanks, Peter. Cool, take care. Hey there, you made it to the outro. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much. We're actively casting for new guests on our show. So if you have a rock star founder or company in mind that's working on something cool, message me on Instagram at Peter A. Levin or email us, hello at ingothands.us. Thank you so much again and look forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.